everyone it's that time time to head down the stairs behind the movie screen and join the crew we are film critics directors actors and cinephiles all gathering to talk about what we love the most the movies so join us as we celebrate 10 years on this mr toad's wild ride grab your favorite drink pull up a chair and stay a while in the place where the conversation is fresh but we do spoil the movies in the spoiler room ah ed here we are again my friends we are live here in the spoiler room. Welcome to the spoiler room. Thank you for venturing down the stairs, pulling up a chair, and popping your favorite drink uh, with us tonight to talk movie spoilers. And it is a perfect 10 episodes celebrating movies that are celebrating 10 year anniversary, along with us here in the spoiler room. And with me tonight to help talk about tonight's uh, film, which uh, was voted on last year, and we spun the wheel of random last month, and we got Only Lovers Left Alive. And with me tonight is the man who keeps coming back for more, none other, the one, the only man, myth, and legend himself, Mr. Ian Simmons. Hello, Ian. How are you? I'm great. No pressure. No legend? Come on, Mark. No, um... (laughs) No, I'm doing great. I, I I am really looking forward to talking about this one with you. Um, because we are looking at Only Lovers Left Alive from 2013, directed by Jim Jeremush. Jeremush, can you do the fandango? Sorry, I've been. I, it's 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 Jarmish. 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 No, Sorry. it's Jarmish. It's Jeremush. In my mind, it's Jeremush. Leave it alone. Jeremush. Okay, Jarmish. Jarmish. Fine. Well, the way because you, you the way you pronounced it, that's great. Uh, you could give the synopsis of Only Lovers Left Alive. Go ahead. Well. Um, <laughs> It's um it is the least bloody is that how you yeah, do that? Yeah, yeah. It's the opposite of a superlative, but it's the least bloody vampire movie I think I've ever seen, but one of the coolest uh and one of the deepest I think vampire movies I've ever seen. Um Tom Hiddleston plays Adam and Tilda Swinton plays Eve and they are a vampire couple living across the world from each other. Um, they've been around for centuries upon centuries. I don't know if we, I, I can't remember if we actually find out how old they are, but they've been around a long time. Um, as has one of their, you know, friends, uh, Kit Marlowe, played by John Hurt. Um, and Adam is a bit depressed. He's living on the outskirts of Detroit. Uh, Eve is living in Tangier, and she decides to go visit him because the kind of frustrated anonymous rock musician thing isn't quite working out for him. So he's contemplating suicide and kind of having all sorts of existential crises. Uh, He can't stand living around people whom he calls zombies. Um, And yeah, that's, that's pretty much the movie in a nutshell. There's a couple of developments, you know, people pop in here and there, but this really is 
uh, to get all highfalutin, a meditation on the nature of existence as seen through the eyes of two bored yet very passionate for each other vampires. <laughs> I I agree. My wife uh, missed the first hour. She sat down and watched the second hour with me, and she still found the film fascinating, as did I. This was my first watch. Um, this was one of those where it's always another one where it's always been on my list. Didn't really have a chance to watch it when it first came out 10 years ago. Never got around to it. It was one of those where I'd see it. I'm like, yeah, I should watch that sometimes. And then I kept scrolling, you know, <laughs> so, you know, or searching on the shelves, the video shelves at family video. Like, ah, I love Tom Hiddleston. I love Tilda Swinton. I, yeah, I should watch this. And then I'd go in and watch something else. Uh, and I, I'm yeah. sorry, you know. No, it's it's understandable. I mean, because I have not seen. I was looking at Jarmusch's filmography today, and I realized that I've seen a lot more Jarmusch than I thought I had. Mm -hmm. But he's a filmmaker. You really got to be in a frame of mind and a mood to watch, because as much as I love Only Lovers Left Alive, in the last I'd say twenty minutes, half hour, when they leave Detroit and go back to Tangier, mm -hmm. I'm like, I'm really fighting and i remember <laughs> i had a flashback to when i saw it in the theater 10 years ago that sure. yeah oh this is the rough part i it's one of those things like in retrospect i appreciate that last act or whatever more than i enjoyed going through the process of watching it um but uh yeah he makes a lot of very strange uh existential films about people and odd relationships and trying to like get at the nature of existence um and he, they're always very artsy and, and creative and, and just deliciously weird in fact after i watched this i watched the dead don't die because i really enjoyed the dead don't die which was his uh take on a zombie film which... yes I, I i should correct the record i hate the dead don't die like with the passion of a thousand suns, I saw that in an advanced screening. Like, oh my God, Jarmusch, and it's coming off of Only Levers Left Alive, and I, I, I wanted to burn down the theater on my way out. And I, I dug that film too for different reasons, but I dug it too. Uh, I actually enjoyed it even more the second time around than watching it the first time. But I can understand. The thing is, I can understand how a lot of people didn't like that film. Um, I totally get it, but for me, I that that was I dug it quite a bit. Maybe because I've watched so many zombie films over the years, uh, I I kind of like I I enjoyed it for its quirkiness. Um, but Only Lovers Left Alive, I was blown away by it too. I'm like watching it, going, okay, <laughs> like for that first hour especially, I'm like thinking it over. I'm like, not a lot's really happening. In this movie, if you think like action and everything, there's, there's, you know, but the talent that you have with Tilda and Tom, they, they, they bring so much to just on the screen as these characters, they're all in on these characters. And then you get John Hurt in there as well. Uh, you're just intrigued just because of, of their performance and their presence on screen. You're like, I am watching this and I am fascinated by the ordinary day in the life of these vampires. <laughs> and I'm like, I really should, because it's not really a, a huge amount of interesting thing. But yet, at the same time, I'm like, I am very intrigued by these characters. Well, it's, you know, a lot of, it's a very strange movie. And uh, did Jarmusch write this as well? I'm not sure. He co uh, yeah, he co, yeah, co with Marion Bass. Uh, mm -hmm. Bisset. Um, what I liked about it is it it takes the it keeps the romanticism of vampires. You know, vampires is a very romantic lore, mm -hmm. and it keeps that because Adam and Eve are very much in love with each other and kind of obsessed. But then it also talks it ponders like, you know, eternal life sounds kind of great until you actually have to live through it. <laughs> so like, once you have you know, the ability to go anywhere, do anything, be anything, have, you know, all the money in the world. Like, even though Adam is living on the outskirts of Detroit in this, like, kind of rundown apartment building, he's got this kind of gopher played by, you know, really well by Anton Yelkin. And he just, anytime he does any kind of favor, he just hands them this, like, thick stack of $100 bills. <laughs> it's like, yeah, the guy's probably a billionaire by now with all the money he's accumulated over the centuries, but... He's just, it doesn't mean anything. He's acquired everything he wants. He's a musician who, 
like at the end of the film, they encounter this, uh, you know, young singer in mm -hmm. Tangier. And Eve says, you know, she's she really has the potential to become like a huge star. And Adam says something to the effect of like, God, I hope. Yeah, I hope she doesn't waste her time with that because it's kind of like, yeah, what is money and fame and fortune? It really is the relationships that that make you strong throughout your life. But it's not necessarily even that's not necessarily enough to sustain you. And the idea of the suicidal vampire is fascinating because it's like, well, if these and they don't really get too much into it, but if, mm -hmm. if these are damned creatures, then you've got an eternity spent being bored on Earth or depending on your mythos, an eternity of burning in hell. I, it's, <laughs> like, it's like he gets to that point and she kind of pulls him back from the brink. But you're yeah. like, man, that really is a no win situation. It is a no win situation. I love I Tom Hiddleston, I mean, again, these these performers, I'm going to say, I love this story. If this film didn't have this cast, and especially these two people in these roles, this film doesn't work as well, right. I don't think. It, it's, just, it's just both Tilda Swinton and Tom Hiddleston, one, have such wonderful chemistry together. Oh, my God, these two. I'm like, I... You you uh, you adore this couple, and I think I think one of the many refreshing things I like about this film, the probably the most refreshing thing is, you have a vampire couple, they've been together for centuries, and they still love each other. They still are just a basic married couple. There's a wonderful scene uh, when when her when uh, Eve's sister shows up later on. It's like <laughs> Adam and Eve are just like this old married couple to where Adam is like, no, we're not going to do this. Or no, <laughs> this isn't going to happen. And and Eve's like, yeah, no, it's going to happen. No, you just you. <laughs> she she lets him protest and then she still gets her. <laughs> well, the, the other thing is that just the fact that their marriage can survive living, you know, in separate countries for, I don't know, I don't even know how long they were apart from each other. They still, mm. you know, were doing kind of like these Zoom calls, like she was on an iPhone and he had wired up his <laughs> phone to like be on a, an old television because he's a tinkerer, he's an inventor. Yeah. But just, yeah, that idea of like, okay, maybe I just need to give you some space. Usually what that means, well, you go out and run some errands or I'll, you know, clean the basement or something, we'll come back and talk. In the case of vampires, it could mean I'm going to go off and live in Tangier for like 30 years and we'll still keep in touch. but We still love each other <laughs> again. The, this idea of eternity and there's so much, um, you know, visual representations of wheels spinning, mm -hmm. you know, record players. Um, the uh, oh, my gosh, I can't remember the the not the gyro, the, the giant generator. Thing yeah, that he has the generator. Up yeah. yeah, right. It's spinning around around. Yep. Yeah, the idea of just like time and the world, you know, keeps on turning and these people are kind of stuck in this loop trying to, you know, mm -hmm. keep themselves entertained. Uh, it's the movie. You're right. Not a lot happens in the movie, but it says a ton about its characters. And I will say mm -hmm. I didn't watch the Netflix Sandman series. I was sort of morally opposed to it because I saw some of the clips. I'm like, this isn't fucking Sandman. I don't care if Neil Gaiman himself did produce it. Yeah. This looks like trash. <laughs> but I'm watching Only Lovers Left Alive. I'm like, this is Tom Hiddleston is playing Sandman. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, he's... he's... <laughs> and Tilda Swinton, even though she's got like these weird, almost like blonde dreads and everything, she essentially is playing the death character. Now, mm -hmm. they're siblings in the comics, but... She's right. the one who's bringing him back from the depths of despair with her kind of like love of life and like pointing out, oh, there's so much great stuff in the world. Come on, get pull yourself together. Like this is you don't need a, a, a series about Sandman. Just watch Only Lovers Left Alive. It's a great <laughs> spiritual adaptation. It It is. You're right. And and he has the look, though. My wife said that uh, when you become a vampire, does that mean you don't comb your hair? Because yeah, all the vampires it, it, don't comb their hair at all. <laughs> but I mean, that's the thing. Why? Why? It, it, it sort of gets into that that old married couple thing you were yeah. talking about. You know, when you're dating, you're like, oh, you gotta have have your act together all the time. But 
you know, when you're just hanging out on the weekends, you're not doing your makeup. I mean, I, I'm lucky if I run a comb through my hair you know, <laughs> when I'm not working. <laughs> it, but again, uh, I, if anything, that you, we've seen a lot of relationship films in that. But what I just loved is they never... It, it's not just the fact that they still love each other. They're comfortable with each other. But they don't ever really fight either, which is odd for a film about a couple. Usually you have some conflict. Like he's looking at the dancer, you know, the singer at the end. You're wait, I'm like, wait, going, okay, wait, here we go now. Now she's suddenly, there's going to be a blow up. There's going to be some jealousy, vampire fire or something. She's just like, huh. Because <laughs> they know each other for so long. They know each other so well. She knows why exactly he's fascinated with the singer. It's not because of the beauty. It's because of her talent, because he's a musician. This is the guy that helped, you know, inspire some of the greatest uh, composers out there. But he wanted to stay anonymous. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know. Um, I think, and and going back to uh, John Hurt's character of, of Kit Marlowe, that's yeah. based on an actual person. And, and talking about Sandman, I'm pretty sure that was brought up in the uh, in some of the Sandman yeah. comics. Mm -hmm. This contemporary of Shakespeare who influenced Shakespeare and in this movie's telling, <laughs> he was pretty much responsible for, for <laughs> Shakespeare's writings. But uh, like Adam decided to kind of stay in the background, just let work stand for itself. Mm -hmm. But I like the idea of, of comfort because you're right. I mean, there are a number of opportunities in this movie where Adam could, you know, look lustfully upon, you know, a younger woman. But if I have found in the case of my marriage and other married couples, I know certainly not everybody necessarily, but when you get to be of a certain age and a certain duration of a relationship and you're so comfortable with each other, you might be attracted to someone else or find someone else attractive because, you know, we're all human beings. But the idea of like acting on it or like I'm going to make a move or have fantasies about it, you're like, why? I mean, yeah. this person <laughs> I've my wife has been with me for 600 years. I'm yeah. not going to get anything <laughs> close to that dedication and love from, you know, a singer in a cafe. Yeah. And it, it's their understanding. It's their experiences of the world over so long that I think also just adds to that they found their basic soulmate and they're just like yeah why would i venture else you know they found the match with each other and this 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 couple is just lack of a better term so adorable in every it's like this is it it's refreshing for a film watcher because usually you have that forced couple conflict or something especially when you're talking you know someone who's who they're into each other and especially when the young sister shows up you're fully expecting that to be just the big riff between them two or whatever and no not really she she knows how her sister is her sister doesn't accidentally but gives into her thirst because she's a young vampire so she's constantly hungry and got that more energy than our two uh more mature vampires uh, you know, so she's always looking to feast, and so she ends up eating Ian. No offense, Ian. Uh, but well, she <laughs> yeah. ends up drinking Ian. You know, and it, it, and it's hilarious too because Ian was a good friend to Adam. He liked Adam liked Ian. Ian got him things, got him some cool things. He was a zombie. He liked, but at the same time, at the at the passing of Ian, he's like he's upset at the sister having drained Ian more than the fact that Ian was dead. It was just the fact that the sister drained <laughs> Right. <clears throat> because, again, it's it's subtext. These people, yeah. they're these vampires have been around for centuries, but the people that they know, the, the zombies, don't last that long. So they're probably, they've probably had thousands of these kinds of, like, acquaintances over mm -hmm. their lives. So, yeah, it'd be a minor annoyance, but it's it's kind of like, well, my hamster died. I'll yeah. get a new hamster. <laughs> But but he, he killed my hamster. Now he, I gotta go get a new one. Right, exactly. He's more upset at the fact. Well, well, that and the fact that Eddie had to uproot his life because there was a murder. They were seen with this guy who was who was killed, and while they very strategically dispatch him in 
the rundown part of Detroit, which I'm sure there's probably plenty of bodies buried there still no one will ever find. <laughs> so, you know, there's probably a very small risk of it, but it still would bring attention to them. And that's what I liked as well as all the vampires in here that we meet, at least the three main ones, uh, you know, Marlowe, Eve, and Adam, are all just trying to not necessarily exactly blend in, but just live their life and not be on anyone's radar ever. Like they, Right. They have they have um in Tangier anyway, Kit has it's it's also it's like a weird take on the familiar, mm -hmm. like the servant yeah. character who knows, you know, the Renfield or going back to Fright Night, the mm -hmm. Jerry Dandridge's boy. Um but this guy, the the guy in Tangier, I don't remember his name. But Belial. he Bilal, yes, Bilal. that's right. He just seemed like a regular you know, guy. There was nothing sinister about him. He seemed really to have affection for the the trio of, of his friends, and that's just nice to see because this movie is so full of surprises. Because every time you, th this is built for people who've watched too many vampire movies, are going to go into this thing. Oh yeah, this is the part where Ian, you know, he springs back up because he's actually been turned. Wait, no, he's actually dead. Where is this going? Mm -hmm. Oh, this is the part where the familiar, you know, tries to take over the, you know, for his boss yeah. because no, finally his master is dead. No, that doesn't happen either. It's it's there's so much so many surprises here. It's it's great. It is. And and that's what's really refreshing about it is and, and they even acknowledge their old ways. They keep referring back you know, uh, when when Ava, the sister of Eve, ends up, you know, uh, drinking the blood of, of uh, Ian. It, like, it's like so 16th century. They keep throwing back to, like, you know, the, the feeding, the biting of the neck of people that is considered so 16th century. Like, it's looked down upon. Like, we, we are above that now. We get our blood supply from, you know, either a snarky doctor played wonderfully by Jeffrey Wright or, you know, Ian, uh, you, you know, or a... a uh, Bilal, who gets uh, her her blood for her as well as Marlo. Um, yeah, it's just like that's... And they don't try to imbibe themselves with a lot of blood. They take just enough for them to be able to function throughout the day. Because when they do take the blood, it is like a drug almost for them. Yeah, or in the case of uh, when Ava ate or drank Ian... It's it's a contaminant because right. that's one of the other kind of themes is that blood is different because people have you mm -hmm. know contaminated themselves with like drugs and like poor food and, and whatever's in the water that they have to be very selective about what the vampires put in their own bodies or like they're like health food nuts. Um, going back to Jeffrey Wright real quick, I love there is a sort of an in joke where as. Eve is packing her bag to leave Tangier and fly to Detroit. She's putting like books in her suitcase. One of them is a book on the artist Basquiat mm. and Jeffrey Wright's breakthrough role was as Jean-Michel Basquiat in a movie from 1998. Ah. I was talking about this with someone the other day uh -huh. and we put it together that in the movie Basquiat, Jeffrey Wright played the title character. Um, Gary Oldman played the uh, one of the art managers who mm -hmm. was working with Basquiat, both characters sharing the same screen together, also played Commissioner Gordon in two different iterations ah. of Batman. <laughs> that is true. That is true. You, well well played. That is absolutely right. Yeah. Uh, that's that nice. I like that connection. <laughs> but yeah, I like Jeffrey Wright showing up in here. You know, the, the cast of characters they have. Um, yeah, Anton, you know, Yelchin, you don't want... That's the thing is you don't even want you don't want their familiars to die, uh, because these are these are cool people and and they're not afraid they they know who these guys are the ones supplying the blood anyway and they're like they roll with it they're like okay cool you know because money talks right, um, but that 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 is what was interesting as well with that is um, oh my my light just oh the blood contamination part. That's what's interesting, and it also explains, without them fully explaining, why they get their blood sourced from people rather than randomly biting people or vagabonds or whatever in the street. Because 
it's not like the 16th century. People have a lot more contaminated blood in some way, shape, or form in the modern times, so they can't just randomly go and bite someone. Otherwise, it could make them sick or, you know, possibly even kill them if they don't know the source of the blood. <laughs> and I loved that. I loved that angle because I'm like, you don't see that addressed that often in vampire films. You know, it's just, it's an interesting angle. Right, and and they also talk about the, the sort of the human problems that directly or indirectly affect mm -hmm. vampires. Like the very end, there's they're both kind of like starving and tired and leaning up against this wall in, in Tangier, and they're talking about uh, are they still fighting wars over oil or have the water wars started yet? And like, yeah, that that's just about to kick off. Um, this this idea that they're going to be around through whatever iteration of mankind. You know comes next mm -hmm. uh and they're just gonna hopefully they won't like wipe everybody out because then i guess the vampires would die out soon but here's a question from lore can vampires survive a nuclear war uh could vampires survive a nuclear war i i don't think so because of the sheer heat well possibly fallout they wouldn't survive like right the bomb but if they were in a remote area and there was radiation fallout they could as long as they had a clean source of blood i would suspect i would suspect though if it was radiated blood that might make them ill <clears throat> possibly but they excuse me but they do have a healing factor so there is that in there right because there was an episode of the tv show monsters from years ago yes. where the bunker, and then the, there were vampires outside. But that was all, like, to your point, after all the bombs had dropped. The world was right. essentially over. Mm -hmm. But that maybe that's maybe that's a, a plot or a subplot for a new vampire movie. Like, the vampire prepper, you know, he's got a bunker that can survive a nuclear blast and, like, decades worth of blood stored up in, like, refrigeration <laughs> units and backup generators. <laughs> I could see that. That'd be a cool, that'd be a cool story. I'd be, I'd be down for that one. <laughs> but, yeah, but, but my point is, like, if, like, if people blow themselves up, you know, there's a chance that Adam and Eve are going to be still walking around through the ashes, you know, scrounging for blood. I, to your point, I don't know if they'd be able to eat any of the survivors because they'd probably be contaminated with radiation, make them make them sick. They'd, they'd have to find some that weren't, you know, as in a contaminated area, but eventually, depending on the fallout from the war, um, yeah, it could be a problem unless uh, they find a bunker with a lot of people in it, you know, <laughs> in which case, you never know. You never know. But yeah, they, I, I don't think they'd survive too long with it. Um, depending on where they're they're at and the people around them, they... and I wonder if you know this is kind of a meta analysis of the movie. I wonder if that's why they're so kind of depressed. Like they <laughs> they see mankind going on a certain trajectory, and if they had been living up to their potential, maybe they could see a nice long life for themselves. But they seem to be psychically you know bonded mm -hmm. to the fate of mankind and that makes them kind of like sad and listless too you know i, I and I, I was wondering about that i don't know if it's exactly like a psychic connection or just the fact that they know so much that they can see the pattern and they've seen the pattern so many times over the years that, that that's what i mean like oh, not, yeah. not psychic like they can read minds oh but that they just way have right. this understanding like right you know i i see where this is going mm -hmm. and it's not any place good <laughs> Because, I mean, you get that with Adam. He created this really cool engine. It's literally a a renewable source of energy that he deems just is not worthy to pass on to humans because humans would just fuck it up, basically. Well, that's, and that's something I wanted to ask you about. There are a lot of, like, night driving scenes of them mm -hmm. kind of tooling around in the car in, like, in old Detroit. Mm -hmm. Now I sound like I'm talking about RoboCop, but <laughs> we get a couple of shots of the dashboard of the car, mm -hmm. and it looked like, because it's kind of an old beater car, but it looks like there's more lights on mm -hmm. the kind of dashboard display than you usually see. And I was wondering, and and in some of the, the far, like the outside mm -hmm. shots, when you hear the car, it sounds like it's making some unusual noises, almost like space age noises. Do you think that was him like 
applying his technology to make his car super like low key awesome. Well, yeah. <laughs> there there is actually because uh, it's a scene in the beginning. It, you, the engine in his car is similar to the engine he designed for his house. So there is a small shot before he gets into his car. The very first time we see him make his doctor run, um, that he's adjusting the engine in the car. And it's the same gyro engine that we saw that powers his house. And yeah, so he's modified this car. He's got a renewable source energy generator that literally takes it from... It, this isn't even from solar power. It takes signals from space and converts That's, them into yes. energy, which is phenomenal. And you're just like, holy crap. And he's just like built this in the middle of, you know, burnt out old detroit and he's just like yeah no i'm not i'm not he's like look at how they wire shit because he show, he points to, <laughs> <laughs> he points to the electrical connections where they just look like a spider web and he's just <laughs> which is a lovely joke later on when he he's in tangiers and he looks up and he sees the same thing and he just looks and he sighs <laughs> <laughs> well i also love like the production design of this movie is mm -hmm. off the chain. Like when you look at uh, Adam's apartment or his, his house, essentially, mm -hmm. it's designed within an inch of its life with antiques and old pictures, but also like every kind of bit of sound equipment you can have. He's the ultimate tinkerer. Um, but at the end, when they have to flee the country, he's like, well, what about all my stuff? And Eve says, I'll buy we can buy all that stuff yeah. again i'm like yeah that's 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 really long-term thinking <laughs> <laughs> yeah you just you get the stuff again most of this so yeah we just we gotta go so and he's like okay <laughs> yeah it's like you're right you're right you know and i love the differences too because both houses of theirs aren't exactly kept but they also reflect their personality. She's a reader. She can speed read with her hands. They give some kind of thing with the powers to where they don't give a like over abundance of powers. There is something there for her. She could like touch things and know exactly their age and origin. And that's how she, she reads through her fingers too. We don't really see that with Adam, uh, but we see it with her and she's a book lover. So she's got books like, everywhere he's got equipment everywhere <laughs> yeah he's like i said he's a tinker he also there is i think it's a i think it's tangier uh mm -hmm. towards the end when they're walking and their people kind of like harassing them and saying hey i got what you need yeah and he kind of leans into one of them and i don't know this might have just been you know the way it was shot i don't think it was an added effect but he leans in and kind of does the hypnotic like vampire mm -hmm. thing like you know you leave us alone. Yeah. And you, this that glint in his eye, it's almost like that's the, the vampire hypnotist stare. Maybe that's one of his gifts. Maybe she has it too. I don't know. But one of the great things about this movie is if you love vampires, it provides such a big uh, nuclear bomb to like vampire mythos that you're just like, no, I want to know more about this. Like, what is Jarmusch thinking? Like that, that kind of throwaway line about like, garlic is just a superstition yeah um, you know and all this other stuff it's just it's so well it's so and, well thought out and they wear gloves they're always wearing gloves and uh you know we she only takes her gloves off when she wants to be intimate with someone and i don't mean intimate like sex but just uh you know care for him. she takes her gloves off when she's holding marlo's hand or what she takes her gloves off when she holds the hand of you know, Adam, but otherwise he, all the vampires are wearing gloves, almost like maybe they all have that similar ability that uh, Eve has to where if they touch something, they know everything about it and they keep it gloves on so they don't go crazy touching everything and knowing everybody's history. Or I was thinking fingerprints. Maybe I, I like your first explanation more mm -hmm. because she also takes her gloves off um, when she feels the the guitar, the one right. from 1905 mm -hmm. or whatever. Um, so that's a nice touch. But yeah, it reminds me of Rogue from X Men. You know, she can't touch anybody or else she absorbs their their life energy and their powers. Man, 
Yeah. I'm talking about Marvel Comics, we've got um, the Ancient One and Loki. <laughs> Here uh, we do. <laughs> and Commissioner Gordon. And, and Commissioner uh, Gordon, yes. Who else do we have? Yeah. <laughs> we also have Gabriel. She was also Gabriel. So in another uh, uh, comic book Hell- movie, Constantine. Constantine, yeah, I was going to say Hellblazer, but yeah, mm-hmm. man, that's that's a movie I got to watch again. That's going to be twenty in a, two years. But she was in, so she's been in, you know, <laughs> she played, which I loved that casting. I always thought that was like casting almost a little bit ahead of its time, a bit to cast her as Gabriel, and you're like, what? But then you see, you're like, yeah, I get it, I'm in it, <laughs> you know, totally, yeah, <laughs> and, and and it's her talent too, and. Yeah, it they don't hold your hand with the vampire lore, but it's almost like okay, if you're watching this, you know vampires. So we're not going to go into all of this, but we're going to introduce some new things to just spark your your imagination going, "Oh, what about this?" But we're not going to really explain it. We're not going to go through exposition. We're not going to go through a lot of that. This is just a day in the life of these vampires, and you can draw your own conclusions. Right, I mean, there's there's only two vampire attacks in the film, mm-hmm. and they both happen off screen. You've got Ian's death in like the end of the second act, and then the final shot of the the movie is Adam and Eve like moving in on these you know two lovers in Tangier, but you just see them bare their fangs and and cut to black. But it's almost like a dare. Like mm-hmm. I bet I can make a. I, I call this the the least bloody vampire movie ever. Like, can you do that and still have it be, you know, riveting? And the answer is. Yeah, I mean, because it's not like there's no vampire stuff in it. Like you mentioned, the blood being like a drug. We get that mm-hmm. montage of our three principals drinking blood and then like getting high and falling back. It's almost like tra- vampire train spotting or something. <laughs> it's so cool. It it is, you know, and it's it's one of those things to where you can understand a bit why Eva is always hungry is because if it, you get that reaction. You know, but these older vampires are experienced enough to know just how much to have to not let them suddenly go on a biting rampage. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And, and and that's I, I think that's one of the things that separates it as well with these vampires is they use their experience here. They 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 feel like experienced characters and they're making decisions like experienced people, like who've been around for a long time. They don't suddenly get dumb and make, you know, a mistake or whatever. The only person that makes a mistake is the younger vampire. And then it's just like, okay, we got to do this now. You know, they know, they know the routine. It was like, do you got an old carpet? Yeah, I got one behind the couch. You know, <laughs> it's like, it's like. Right, but they, I mean, I'm, I'm reminded of, uh, Ava kind of reminds me of Kirsten Dunst's character mm-hmm. in Interview with a Vampire. I mean, they even kind of, like, look the same, and they have right. that same kind of impetuous, like, I'm a young vampire, and I'm, you know, going to throw a hissy fit. But they don't try and kill her. They just they just kick her out. And she also, I, I don't know if this is the threshold thing, mm-hmm. But when they kick her out, like she just storms off down the street yelling, fuck you. And she's got a little pink rolling suitcase and everything. But it makes you wonder, like typically you can't be invited. Vampires can't enter into a house unless they've been invited. Does that work if it's a vampire's house? Can a vampire disinvite another vampire? Or is it just because she realizes there's no point in getting into a fight with her older sister and and her husband? She's just going to screw off to L.A. for another 200 years and then they'll get back together next century well she knows she what she actually did was wrong that's the whole thing she's testing the boundaries in in a in a way they actually it, this is why this film i and I, you know i totally it, it's interesting because on the surface you're like okay but if you think about it they've been around for centuries i don't think vampires can have kids it's kind of implied right. so what do you use for a married couple to see kind of a relationship with a bratty kid, they bring in the kid's sister. And suddenly the dynamic between them is almost like parents and a kid in many respects versus her kid's sister. I mean, there's a little bit more of the sisterly bond, but still overall it's like you're like, oh, and then they just kick the the kid out. You know, it's like 18 years old or whatnot. And I liked that dynamic when she's introduced. It's almost like 
this family of, of parents and a kid, uh, and she acts like one quite a bit. Oh, but, yeah. You know. Well, I mean, even down to uh, the, the parents are, or in this case, the, the non-parents, they're asleep in the bed, and then she comes in, jumps on them like, the moon's out. It's time to get up. And it's like, five more minutes, please. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, she comes in and wakes him up, and you know she puts her f- foot on on Tom Hiddleston's head, who has covered it in a pillow. He's like, you know, you're just like, oh man, she's yeah, she's basically the you know acting, playing in the role of if they had a kid. This is kind of how it was. Um, and you're right about the invite thing because they do drop a line about it because uh, uh, Eve tells e- uh, Ava she's like. You know the dangers of entering a home and not being invited. So there's some kind of consequence, which we end up seeing. She ends up getting kicked out later on, you know, and she wasn't feeling well when she was, you know, after she uh, bit Ian. Uh, and he's like, he's in the music industry. Why'd you do it's like, But, you know, there, there, there's a consequence. It's almost like maybe her thirst was more amped up because she wasn't actually invited into the house i i don't know i but you know there's even a different layer to that because that whole thing about the invitation comes from eve invading or ava invading eve's Mm -hmm. dreams like oh did you get my message Mm -hmm. right and that's when she said you know you shouldn't go places uh, you're not invited to which makes me wonder okay the vampires can like mind control people we've seen that forever but is there any kind of a barrier there too? Like, it, can you shut yourself off to that? And what happens if a vampire tries to enter a mental threshold or step over that? Oh my gosh, would that make them blow up like in scanners, or would they just not be able to go in like in you know in Fright Night that kind of a thing? Like, there's so many possibilities. You could make an entire series of vampire movies just based on the lore of Only Lovers Left Alive. You could, and they give you just enough of this flavor. To for you to do exactly what you just did, just kind of go off going, wow, does that mean this, this, and this? And and they don't tell you for sure, and I'm glad they don't. I, I'm like, because it keeps you intrigued, you know? You, you kind of get the idea, you know what you're seeing, but at the same time, you're just fascinated because you want to see, okay, you know, it's like Marlo's sick. Wait, why is Marlo sick? They're vampires. Why is he sick? Oh, he got tainted blood. Oh, and then you're like, oh, yes. <laughs> There's so many layers to what seems to be a, a pretty straightforward film. And yeah, I this this really ah, I I fell in love with this movie. I really did. <laughs> I did too. And like there was another um Jarmusch movie came out mm-hmm. in 2004 or 2005, I think, called, I think it was Coffee and Cigarettes. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, it was black and white. It mm-hmm. was like, kind of like these series of vignettes. And one of them featured Jack and Meg White of the White Stripes. And mm-hmm. in this movie, they drive by, oh, that's Jack White's childhood home. <laughs> and I, I wouldn't be surprised if it actually was. But yeah, there's these, these fun little connections to other Jarmusch movies or just like the kind of the wider culture. I really loved one of the my favorite reveals ever mm-hmm. was they're kind of bumming around burned out Detroit and they come across this theater, like this mm. grand like theater palace. Mm-hmm. And they're talking about, Oh, back in the twenties or whatever it was, you know, seats 4,000 people and it had an attached movie house and all this other stuff. And now it's a, a car park. And, and you realize that we're looking at the ceiling and as the camera pans down, it's all open. Like they ripped out everything except for this canopy of this old theater. And yeah, it's just a fucking like nasty parking lot. <laughs> and, and just that scene gives you insight on why, especially Adam is the way he is and why he feels the way he does towards humans. Cause they're artists, especially him. And he's like, these people just don't appreciate the art they had. You know, mm-hmm. he's got as much as he's a tinkerer, as much as he modifies technology, I love how he sighs. He doesn't have a smartphone. His wife does. He doesn't have a smartphone. He barely has a laptop. But every time YouTube was brought up, he just sighs. I love that. <laughs> it's like, 
It's like I saw it on YouTube. Of course, of course you, you did. did. <laughs> <laughs> you know, or, or well, I heard your music in L.A. How? Because he hardly ever released his music, and he's like, "How is it in L.A.?" I don't know. I saw it in L.A. So maybe they got it off of YouTube. Of course they did. (laughs) (laughs) Hiddleston plays this so, so well. So much snark. And that's what I love is there's there's seriousness to this. There is, like you said, there's existential questions. There's a lot of themes going on. But he also works in a fair amount of subtle humor in this to where it allows you not to get so overbearingly heavy like it could be you know and that's what i think i appreciate is that there's heavy subjects there's heavy things talked about but at the same time he manages to work in this wonderful humor whether or not it's hiddleston's snarkiness or like you said the one scene where she get ava gets kicked out and she's like go fuck yourselves you go fuck you know <laughs> and she's walking down the street with her pink you know with her pink suitcase, and there's no music. You just hear the wheels on the sidewalk as she storms off. And I found that hilarious. I'm just like... <laughs> right. She she may be an immortal, like, very strong killer, like, creature of the night. But at the end of the day, she gets kicked out of her apartment, and she's got her pink rolling suitcase. You know, it's it's all... <laughs> It's all about perspective. <laughs> you know, or, or or Adam, you know, you think there'd be a huge conflict. No, we're not going to a club. No, I'm not going out. No, cut to a club where they're sitting here listening to music. <laughs> Look, I, I'm glad you brought this up because I want to ask you, mm. as as the wax aficionado, the, the music head of the yeah. two of us, what did you think of the mov- the music in this film? It's It was an interesting collection i i was i loved the variety of it i loved the different sounds you had i loved the fact that that uh adam plays this kind of dark gothic kind of you know synth type music yet he's listening to blues and country <laughs> and and then they go yeah they go to this club which is some really underground like punk music and then you get some cultural music in here. I I had, I had really liked the soundtrack of this because of the variety and the different music chosen for most of this film. I was like, it it added extra character, I think, to to everything. Yeah, I I agree. I don't know if there's actually a a soundtrack out there for this, but I I think I might have to pick it up. Um, it's not necessarily music that I would go out of my way to listen to, but it feels like it's good like work creative music like stuff you'd put on to get the juices flowing and i going back to what you were talking about um adam's sort of selfishness with the things he invents i feel like the same is true for his music because his music is really good and even ian is like look you should put all this out there because people would love it <clears throat> and i feel like they they would but he's like no that they, they don't deserve this music <laughs> well be, you know it, it goes along with his idea of appreciation you know, mm-hmm. his thing is he's an artist and he's like the the mass populace. He's making a statement about the mass populace does, doesn't appreciate actual art. They don't take a beat and actually appreciate what they're experiencing. They're always moving on. That's why the YouTube, I think, kept making him sigh because it was like that instant bang, bang. As we know, we're on YouTube. Uh, you know, you just hear, hear, hear. You're just jumping to the next thing rather than appreciating the one thing and and that's his approach to everything he's just like yeah i got great music but people are going to listen to it maybe five minutes and then move on i think is what he's thinking yeah i mean this is this is one of those rare movies that i think is more i hate to use this phrase but it's more relevant today than when it came out <laughs> no it it is in many sense a lot of the statements it makes about culture and such really apply even more so today than it did back 10 years ago when this came out you know it's he just it's funny because normally especially with like some vampire characters and that that you have they're always in the new thing like you know 
heavy leather, you know, I mean, they're flashy stuff. You know what we've seen in a lot of stuff. It's like, yeah, they're those, you look at them, you go, yeah, that's a vampire. You know, yeah, I mean, it just, <laughs> come on, that's, you know. But then you look at, um, you look at uh, what Adam is wearing for a good portion of the movie when he's hanging out in his house. It looks like Ferris Bueller's bathrobe, you know, but it's also 250 years old or something. <laughs> well, I love that when she touched the guitar and it's like 1908 or whatever, Gibson. And he's like, yeah, it's old. And she's like, yeah, your robe's like, your house coat's 100 years older. So what are you talking about? The guitar is old. She's, you know, he hangs on to more older things than she does. And I thought that was another aspect uh, of their their approach to everything is even because he's modifying old tech. He doesn't buy new tech. He's making old tech work to what he wants it to do versus, uh, you know, biting the bullet and buying a new newfangled computer or something. And, you know, she's more with the modern age and that's just his approach. He, he liked the finer things and he doesn't want to let go to those things. And maybe that's why they're still together. He doesn't want to let go of her because he appreciates their history and everything together, you know, versus splitting on her or, or killing her. Well, and I also think that she he recognizes that she appreciates him. Mm -hmm. And, like, what is he going to have if, if she's not around? I, I wonder, but, you know, and again, I, I've seen the movie twice. Once mm -hmm. today, once 10 years ago. I feel like I need to go back and watch it again and really pay attention to their dialogue together. Because I wonder, was Adam ever really happy? It doesn't necessarily seem like... Oh, you're not the same person you used to be. It just seems like he's always been kind of like a sad sack, but they found something in each other that, that they loved. I mean, he might be a bit more depressed now because he's having a custom made bullet <laughs> uh, put uh, put together for his gun so he could kill himself, uh, apparently. Um, but yeah, he just seems like a guy who's always that kind of brooding artist type. Yeah, well, yeah, he's the brooding artist. <laughs> he probably was before he was turned. If he was turned, you know, we get the idea that they've been turned because they can turn people. Uh, you know, it's hard to say with their names, they might be alluding to that they're, you know, originally born vampires or made vampires, whatever you want to talk about, mm. you know, being Adam and Eve, that I didn't get the impression that they were going for that so much religious aspect, but I, th I think they call them, they also use the, the naming scheme of Adam and Eve as to give the reliance that these folks are old vampire. They've been around a really long time. <laughs> and, yeah. But yeah, you're right. He may have always been the brooding artist and I, yeah, the world, he seems impassionate about, but, and this comes through and this is because of the performance of just, everybody on the screen but especially between tilda and tom is she keeps him going he truly loves her he's devoted to her and if there's one thing that he truly actually seems to genuinely love and enjoys his time with her even when they're apart which sounds weird they're, they've been apart but <clears throat> you know when they're together he seems genuine that he is enjoying this time with her, just sitting on the couch with her, you know, and you might think that's odd. Well, these folks have experienced everything. You think they'd be out? No, they're sitting on the couch, just enjoying each other's time. And you get the idea that he is happiest when he's with her. And that's why she travels from Tangiers to see him. They've been apart probably a while, you know, and, and even though they, vo they, they video chatted, he, which he reluctantly does. <laughs> I love how it's 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 an effort for him to start up his video conference with her. <laughs> well, but yeah, it's it is but it's in his tinkering he's almost made it too complicated for his right. own good cuz she pulls it up on her iPhone and he's like, "Wait a second, where's the remote? And I got to do this other thing and pull this switch and now it's on my TV." <laughs> but the thing is he hasn't bought a phone. He reluctantly did this because she wants to video chat with him. So he made this so he could talk to her because it's what she wanted, you know. Right. And and that's what's the sweetness with this couple. Right, but I mean you, that. But that's kind of what I was getting at. Like, was he ever? Do you think he was ever happy? Because I mean, I I feel like getting an iPhone 
he can still tinker and everything, but there is a convenience to having something where you can just like pull it up at any time instead of being grumpy that you have to like go through this process in order to do something that she can do in, in half a second. I, I think part of it is he likes being the grumpy guy. Uh, in, in some respects. I can see that, yeah. <laughs> in some respects. I think he, he likes being disimpassioned with the zombies, as he calls it. He likes... It, I mean, and, and I don't mean like, like, oh, I like this ice cream, but he's comfortable in this role of being suicidal almost because in a way, it if anything, it brings them back together. You feel like this has been a loop in their relationship to where they spend some time apart he starts to get suicidal. She shows up and goes, all right, quit being stupid. He's like, okay, hey, we love each other. Let's spend time together. And then they might drift apart again, and then he's fine for a while. And then he gets suicidal again. She's like, oh, it's that time. I got to be physically there with him. Um, you know, it, it's almost like the cycle, and it's almost like he he doesn't fight being in this state that he's in because he almost – has a reliance knowing she's going to come and bail him out or, or come and, and make it better, you know? Yeah. And I think that's, yeah, that's a testament to the, to the sweetness of this couple. You'd think that after all these centuries, they'd be kind of sick of this routine or sick of each other, but like those record players, they just keep going round and round. And there's not even a sense of like, there's no camera shots of secret, like glances of like, I'm really tired of making this work. No, they really, despite their problems, they're just, they're made for each other. And it's, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. And it's just weird in a modern age. And I'm going to say it. It's a gift. Even, and, and I'm not even talking about new films. I'm talking about just films in general. It's odd to see a relationship like this being portrayed like this and stays consistent throughout the film to where it's a positive relationship at least the way these two relate to each other and their feelings for each other and how they act towards each other stays fairly positive between them throughout the entire film which is just you know it's one of those things where in all honesty you don't see it that often with relationships in film Mm -mm. no and uh, you know it's the the title is almost deceptive because it's only lovers left alive we tend to think of lovers as like, oh, people that I've slept with. But these are, it's almost lovers in the sense of people who are in love. They mm-hmm. are lovers. And they're, <laughs> they've been around forever. And they're the only ones who are going to be left alive after everything <laughs> else turns to dust. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Because they've stuck by each other. They've had their love to get through their rough spots to where they don't have a whole lot of blood anymore. Uh, you know, uh, I mean, what, what couple hasn't gone through that, right? Uh, right, that's right. But, but well, I mean, I you know, that's why I have a secret storage and refrigeration unit in my in my bunker of, of the good stuff. Yeah, of the good stuff. Awesome. Thank I you. keep I keep it positive though. Oh, you no. keep it positive. <laughs> oh, really? Uh, <laughs> so, so there you have it, folks. Uh, only lovers left alive. I, I figured it'd be a movie I'd enjoy. I didn't expect myself to enjoy it this much. This is this is it's gonna sound weird for a vampire film. This is an endearing film. Yeah. It's and I did not expect that. Okay. I'm I'm like sitting here watching this going, it's about vampires, but this is an endearing film. You 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 are cheering for this couple and you just feel connected and yeah, uh, we're going to do like we do with every He's Not Loki episode. Do you like Tom Hiddleston as Loki or as Adam more? I think this might be my favorite. I, I'd have to think about it, but I, I think this is my favorite Tom Hiddleston performance mm-hmm. ever. Um, you know, because it's so <clears throat> it's very different from what I've seen him you know do before mm-hmm. uh there's yeah it's it's a perfect perfect performance and a great script and a great you know co-star um it's weird because <clears throat> i can't think of his performance without also thinking of tilda swinton right like they, mm-hmm. they they are so in love with each other that they literally become one and down to the actors <laughs> their perf- yeah. their performances really you, 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 it's very hard to talk about one without the other because they complement and they entwine themselves so well with each other that it's just 
you think of both of them throughout this film. And mm-hmm. yeah, I know I will be revisiting this film again just be just because I I, I want if I if I'm feeling a little doubt I'm going to throw in a vampire film because well the know, other thing I, is like you watched your wife watched the second half of this right. with you I had forgotten I almost wanted to watch this with my wife but it's been a decade so I couldn't remember if there was any like horror stuff oh, sure, in it sure yeah but now that I realize that there's not really aside from a couple of bloody fangs but just because people drank something um this is totally something this is i think a really good date movie for married couples (laughs) been been together for a while it's like it's like the it's like a rom-com for people who love horror movies it is yeah it's the horror movie couple rom-com if it it, it, as close as you're gonna get because yeah uh, that's a good way to put it. I, I like that quite a bit. So there you have it, folks. I think we both uh, uh, will recommend uh, Only Lovers Left Alive. If you're a Tom Hiddleston fan, Tilda Swinton fan, or just looking for a night, a, 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 a interesting movie for your horror season, but don't want to get too heavy into horror, you could watch this because there's really not a whole lot of those horror elements stuff happens off screen or we fade to black and see the consequence afterwards, almost like a play in many respects. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and yeah, that's just the way it plays out. Ah, no, sorry. Anyway. So, so this is a perfect 10 episode. We only have three because I can't count. Uh, we have three, <laughs> We have two months and three films left to uh, pick. So whatever film we pick, you pick here, then we'll have uh, December's picked as well. So, yeah, we only have three left. So let's go to that uh, wheel of random and see what we have left uh, to pick for our uh, Perfect Ten episode. So let's just add this. Here we are, folks. And uh, let's spin the wheel. Where do you think it's going? We've got Machete Kills, Oculus, and Carrie left. I hope it's Carrie because uh, I might be unexpectedly sick for the uh, the other two. Oh. Um. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then. Well, let's spin the wheel of random and see where this It's goes. funny. It looks like the Criterion logo now. <laughs> it does. It does. Uh-oh. I guess Ian might be sick next month oh oh man no, all right no, COVID just came back <laughs> november we have machete kills so that will be our perfect 10 episode so now i get to pick a theme around that uh it, 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 yeah we'll see what we pick there's many different ways i could go with this so we'll we'll see what we do with this but machete kills is going to be our next uh yeah, our next film next month. That'll be our perfect 10 episode. I've got your theme. Um, mm-hmm. Movies featuring smoldering turds. <laughs> wow. Sorry. Uh. <laughs> Did you enjoy the first machete? No. No. Okay. Um, I, well, I don't remember it that much. Ah. I'd have to go back and like look at my review. I, I think it's, it's like all those other Grindhouse feature-length Grindhouse movies. The trailer in Grindhouse was awesome. And then you stretch out to feature length, it's like, eh, worked better at two and a half minutes. <laughs> well, we do have Thanksgiving coming up yes. in November. So we'll have to see how that plays out. That was a good fake trailer, but will it make a good movie? So My only, my only point of concern with that is yeah. that I watched the trailer and it looks like it's in a modern setting. Like It looks like the Thanksgiving trailer, but without the the grit and the 80s right it just looks like a regular slasher movie like, i don't know yeah it, it it does look like he he took away some of those grindhouse effects that were in that trailer that was there so we'll have to see what happens but yes machete kills will be our perfect 10 episode look soon for the theme of our month that will be posted on a special mark productions.com or uh we'll also announce it next week in our last episode now, as always, license to shill to my good friend here, Mr. Ian. What do you got to shill today, sir? Um, a few things. I, I am Ian Simmons of Kicking the Seat, which you can find at kickseat.com and also on YouTube. Look up Kicking the Seat and you'll find me there. Uh, Wednesday, as uh, we talked about in your, in your Patreon show, um, the pre-show or 
post show. Um, we're going to be talking about Killers of the Flower Moon at 8 p.m. Central Time, the new Scorsese flick. And then on Friday, I'm going to be doing a special Scarathon episode, helping out uh, Aaron Christensen of Horror 101 with Dr. AC. We're going to be doing a live stream uh, 20th anniversary retrospective of Rob Zombie's House of a Thousand Corpses, also at 8 p.m. Central. So, yeah, hang out. Check that out. I think I just heard my arteries hardening by you saying 20th anniversary of House of a Thousand Corpses. Yes, sir. Oh, dear God. <laughs> I have some interesting opinions about that film, too, but um, <laughs> I'll be interested to see what you guys have to say about it for sure. So tune in. Well, hey, if you, if you if you want to join in, I can send you the link. <laughs> you don't want me on your show, Don. No, no, I'm just kidding. Um, I'll, have to, I'll think about it, but uh, I don't want to hoard it. But yeah, I, that's that's God, that's 20 years. Dear Lord, I, I mm-hmm. don't. Even, yeah, I just I felt old. And with that, I don't feel as old as Tilda Swinton's Ad- uh, Eve and Tom Hiddleston's Adam felt in Lovers Left Alive, but I still feel a bit old. So before this episode gets any older, we will just say good night, everyone. Good night. Good night. Good night. I, I want to play your guitar.